that, uh, that they sing together. What a blessing that is. Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. I was uh, <clears throat> truly blessed by the message brought to us last week by Brother Larry Jones and and uh, we uh, we needed that and I was blessed in another way because as I said last week having known Larry since he was just a kid it just absolutely thrilled my heart to see him still being used of God after all of these many years because a lot of folks over the years have a way of falling out by the wayside, and I'm so glad that God is still using him and reminded me of another time and another day back there at Trinity Baptist Church in Merriam, Kansas, just outside of Kansas City, and uh, and as I think back over the years, well, a lot of different things came to my mind. As I think most of you know, the pastor then was Brother Lewis Turk, who was my is my dear friend and uh, someone asked me the other day of all of the preachers I know who do you hold in the highest esteem respect as a man and so on and so forth and I didn't have to bat an eye for me it's Lewis R. Turk uh, they just don't get any better than him I'm talking about being a servant of the Lord I'm talking about somebody that is the real genuine article and so Last week I began to just let my mind wander and go back over the years and thought of several different things. Uh, I even thought of, uh, for some reason or another, I thought of the title of a sermon that I preached. I I don't remember what I preached, but I remember the title. It was during one of the revival meetings, and I preached the message entitled, Give Me That Old Time Religion. And... uh, you know, as I as I thought about that this week, I, you know, I thought to myself, well, we certainly need to get back to that old-time true religion because a lot of changes have taken place over the years. Uh, I'm thinking back, you know, nearly 50 years ago now, and I was a lot younger, had a lot more energy. In fact, it was up there whenever... Uh, I was preaching, and I started having severe, sharp pains in my head, and my sight was going crazy, and seeing all them little black spots dance around, and and I decided that I needed to, you know, kind of slow down because I, uh, my preaching style back then was considerably more energetic than it is today, and. Uh, and so I just come to the conclusion, I think God was telling me, look, if you want to live to preach very long, you're going to have to get over some of that. And so I made some changes in my life, and a lot of, a lot of changes have taken place during that course of time. And I don't mind telling you, when I think about how it used to be, you know, we call it the good old days, and... Uh, Whenever I think about I'm not talking about getting lost in the 50s like Ronnie Millsap saying. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about getting back to where we need to be in a spiritual sense. And, and you call that revival. That's exactly what revival is all about, is us getting back, regaining what we've lost over a period of time. 
And I often think about that that song, and I remember Bev singing it some years ago, well, a lot of years ago now, uh, that says, I'm tired of being stirred without being changed. And how many times we come to church and we listen to a song that moves our heart or a message that uh, maybe touches our heart and we're stirred, but but we're never changed. Nothing ever uh, nothing ever changes for the better. And the problem is, is so many times we are satisfied with the way things are and God's not. You know, we've got the idea that, um, well, as long as, as long as I am, uh, as long as I'm just a, you know, an, at least a good average Christian, everything is all right. And a lot of people confuse average with normal, and it, they're not the same. They're not the same. You could be in a ward, in a hospital ward somewhere, with a hundred cancer patients, and you could be you could be average, but you're not normal. It's not normal for people to have cancer, but you are average. And what has happened to us today? with our Christianity is, we look around us and we think, well, I am as good as the average, and we break our arm patting ourselves on the back, congratulating ourselves. Although we've grown cold and indifferent and lackadaisical in the things of the Lord, and we are satisfied and God isn't, and uh, to put it in the language of the Bible, that simply makes God sick. He said to the one church, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Now, this morning, I want to remind you that every chapter of the Bible is important. And every chapter of the Bible is true. But there are some chapters in the Bible that are more helpful to us than others. For example, we could go back to the book of Leviticus and we could begin to read about all of the genealogies and so forth and all of that's true and all of that is interesting. It's all helpful, but it's not nearly as helpful as what we're going to look at here in Romans chapter number 12. In fact, whenever it comes to the Christian and his relationship to the church, I don't know of any chapter that's really more important than Romans chapter number 12. In the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, it deals with basically with our doctrine that is what we believe. But when we come to chapter 12 on through the remainder of the book, it deals with duty that is how we behave. And here in chapter number 12, it commences with a challenge to surrender. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It continues with counsel for service, telling us what we ought to do as members of the body of Christ, how we ought to act, how we ought to conduct ourselves. And then it concludes with a call for stability. You see, the Lord knew that since we're all different, that we were going to have some difficulties in in getting along with one another. And so he tells us there that we are to live peaceably with all men, if possible, that we're to overcome the evil with the good. He wants there to be stability in the church because if there's not, well, we're not going to be effective as a church. But right in the middle of all of this is our text verse this morning, 
verse number 11, verse 11, where he says that to be not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. I want to speak to you this morning about seething saints. Seething saints. The word seething is defined in the dictionary as meaning intensely hot, boiling over, constantly moving, or active. Seething saints. Several years ago, I was asked to come and to preach in a Bible conference for Brother Jerry in, in Lake Worth. And he wanted me to preach on the subject of the church on fire. And the text for that message was here in verse number 11, where he says that we are to be fervent in spirit. And that Greek word fervent simply means to boil over, to be aglow. It means to be burning or to be boiling. That ought to be descriptive of every single Christian and of every church. But that's not always the case. Kind of reminds me of the story of an old man that had never attended church. And one day, the church building near where he lived caught fire. And so all of the neighborhood all came out here. They're standing outside, everybody looking at the church building as it was burning down and people throwing water on the fire trying to get it out. And well, one of the people standing there happened to be the, the pastor and uh, the pastor asked him, he says, uh, uh, this is the first time I've seen you at church. And the old man said, yeah, and this is the first time I ever seen the church on fire. You know, there's a lot of truth to that. So many times people aren't interested in the church because from all appearance, there's nothing going on there that is of any significance. There's nothing there to attract attention. There's nothing there that they would be interested in. And I'm afraid that old man isn't alone. I'm afraid there are a lot of people that have never seen the church on fire. A lot of people that have never experienced any semblance of revival whatsoever. If we want to see what a church on fire looks like, the best way to do it is to go to the book of Acts because here we have the record of that early church. And as we look at that early church and we find out what a church ought to be like, we learn several things about a church on fire. In the first place, it's manifested to others. If this building is on fire, God forbid that happened, but if this building were to catch fire and just a blaze where you could see it all over, it would get attention. There would be people take notice of that. They'd be stopping up there on the highway. There would be people beyond this location that would all of a sudden take note of the fact that there is a church there. In other words, fire in the church makes its presence known. 
And there in Acts 5 and verse number 28, it was said of the early church, Ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. In other words, there wasn't anyone in town that had not heard of that church. Everybody knew about it. They might not agree with it. They might not be interested in it. But they knew that church was there. Let me tell you, it's our job to make Christ known. And if we make Him known, we'll be known. It'd be absolutely horrible and terrible if someone happened to be going through this area. In fact, someone called me the other day and said, uh, there's a certain friend of mine that is in town and he's looking for a church. Wouldn't it be awful if someone came to town, you know, and... uh, Maybe they were looking for us, and they said, uh, I'm looking for Lakeway Baptist Church. Can you help me? And for them to scratch their head and say, no, I don't think I, no, I, I don't know where that church is. I don't know anything about that church. Let me tell you, if we are on fire for the Lord, if we're doing what we ought to do, the people in this community is going to know that we're here. One of the reasons that we wanted to start the community care ministry and thank God for Brother Wilson spending all of the time in regards to that. And not only Brother Wilson, but Kenneth and Brother Ron and those that have helped out in different ways. We come to the conclusion that this building is sitting here all week long, not being used except during our services and what have you. And it's our responsibility to be a good neighbor. It's our responsibility to try to reach this community. So we started the community care ministry. Now, we can't let anybody and everybody use the facilities here. But those with whom we don't have any big doctrinal issues and so forth, we do allow. We've got, we've got the homeschool ministry. And by the way, in case you didn't know, there's been either five or six other homeschool chapters that have been started in the Houston area as a result of this one chapter that meets here every week. Think about that. I mean, listen, that's a big deal. And it's a big deal because those children are being educated in a Christian way and and we we're able to have a little part of that and in doing so all of a sudden the presence of this church is known to others now the presence of the church is not the important issue the important issue is that others come to know the Lord Jesus Christ but if they don't know we're here we'll never have the opportunity to minister to them Now, the same thing that's true of a church ought to be true of every Christian, whether it's at school, whether it's the workplace, wherever it is, a Christian that's truly on fire for God, one that is seething, boiling over and red hot. You mark it down. The people you work with, the people you go to school with, they're going to know you're a Christian. There again, they might not agree with your beliefs, but they'll know where you stand without any doubt. It'd be a horrible testimony for someone to go into your workplace and call you by name and say, do you know anything about them and their religious preference? Do you know anything at all about you know, their views concerning Christianity? It'd be horrible if they said, no, I know nothing about that whatsoever. You ought, listen, you ought to make it known wherever you are. You can't hide fire very long 
And whenever a person is on fire for God, others are going to set up and take notice. Now, that's the good part, but in addition to that, it's going to be misunderstood by some. We think about the early church, and there on the day of Pentecost, remember the 3,000 people being saved, and God supernaturally enabling them to speak in other languages so all of those people that had traveled there, they could hear the gospel in their own language. God just, I mean, came down upon that church, and they were all, it says, all filled with the Spirit. And 3,000 were saved. In chapter 2 and verse number 12, it says, And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? And listen, others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. In other words, they have accused them of being intoxicated. They have a bunch of drunks down there. They're acting crazy down there. And by the way, it might have seemed that way. You go in and, you know, you have your language, the only language that you know, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden you've got these these apostles getting up there preaching in other languages. Nobody ever heard of anything like this. Let me tell you, whenever, whenever God's people are on fire and we make ourselves available for God to use, God does things that people have never thought about or heard of before. So many times, you know, we've reduced Christianity down to this neat, tidy little package that's just, you know, what, what you ordinarily expect out of Christianity And we come to church week after week without expecting anything new or unusual. Well, no, God could work miracles, right? We we know that's true because the Bible talks about Him having all power in heaven and earth. So we know that's true, but we don't expect any miracles. Why? Because we've grown cold and indifferent and were we to be on fire, you mark it down Other people are going to misunderstand. They're going to accuse you of just putting on a show. You know, one of the biggest, the biggest hindrance when I started preaching was my fear of what people would think. Because, you know, I was that real shy kid that wouldn't, you know, give an oral book report in school and so when God saved me, the only time that I was very outspoken was when I'd been drinking. Then I'd do silly stuff, you know, like stand on my head in the, on, the, on, the, on the bar and dare somebody to push me over and stupid stuff like that. So I didn't have any problem being real outgoing whenever I was drunk. But whenever I wasn't drunk, I, uh, I, I, and the Lord called me to preach, and I thought, whoa, wait a minute, you've got the wrong guy. Lord, you just made your first mistake. I can't, I can't possibly do that. And boy, I'll tell you, it was with fear and trembling in the first time that I got an opportunity to preach, and, and, and the pastor's wife gave Bev a nerve pill to calm her down. Good night. She wasn't preaching. I was the one preaching. Of course, she probably needed that listening to me preach for the first time. 
But I'll never forget. He said, I was afraid to raise my voice. I was afraid. Some of you heard me talk about, you know, in the, where I pastored my first church, and every Monday morning I couldn't hardly open my hands. It's all swollen up from beating the pulpit. I've knocked the tops out of pulpits before and stuff like that. And But, boy, to begin with, I was scared to death. What, what are people going to think if I just get real emotional? And I'll never forget the first church that called me to come in view of the call. And I just had a long, personal, private meeting with the Lord. And I thought, Lord, look, I can't do this, but if I'm going to do it, you're going to have to help me. God help me get over the fear of worrying about what people think and just get up and preach your word. And I'll guarantee you, Bev remembers that sermon that day because... uh, it scared me. I, 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 I didn't recognize myself, and she certainly, I'd never been that way in all of my life. Now, listen, I'm saying all of that for a reason. I'm saying, look, folks, if we're going, if we're going to be used of God, we've got to stop worrying about what other people think about it. There's some of you who'd like to say, Amen, Hallelujah. I love it when Brother Ron gets excited, you know, and he say, Hallelujah or something. And there's some of you sitting there, you'd love to do that. And, and, and for some reason, you're just scared to death. You're tied in knots because you're worried about what somebody's going to think. Fully on them. Yeah. Don't worry about what they're going to think. You better worry about what the Lord's going to think. Amen? And if the Spirit of God is prompting you, you better do what God wants you to do. Are others going to misunderstand? You bet they are. That's okay. Where's Birdie? There, there's Birdie. There's probably been a few people misunderstand Birdie. She was, she's been our, our, <laughs> over, over the years, those of you that are Grand Ole Opry, I, I know that's not the way you say, Grand Ole Opry fans, uh, we said Birdie was our, our spiritual mini pearl, and boy, and she just gave us a spark. Well, Jesse Ray, her son, most of all, y'all know Jesse. Jesse's a little bit more than excitable. And, and let me tell you, there are people that misunderstand Jesse. The problem is, Jesse's normal and you're not. You're not. You sit back, you criticize Jesse, you criticize Jesse, and Jesse's the, is, is, is normal. He, I mean, listen, he's just expressing himself. We've got to stop worrying about what other people think or we'll never get things right with God. Now, seething Christians, a church on fire. Let me tell you, a church on fire has to be made up of members that are on fire. You see, we can't expect this church to be any different than the members that make it up. And so many times, you know, we do. We make that mistake. We want the church to be one thing, and we're something else. Well, you know, I, boy, I wish the church was more excitable. I wish the church was more dedicated. And the, and the fact of the matter is, it'll never be any different than what it is if you're not different. Acts 2 and verse 4, and Acts 4 and verse number 8, in both places it says of that early church, And I don't know whether you realize how amazing this is or not, but let me tell you, it is amazing. It says, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Not just the pastoral staff, not just the Sunday school department, not just the officers in the church, 
They were all filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Can you imagine what God can do with a church where every member of the church is filled with the Holy Spirit? There's no telling what God might do. Because whenever we are filled with the Spirit of God, it simply means that we are under His control. So many times we think about, boy, I want to see the church grow, and what we need is more members. No, we don't need more members. We need more members who are filled with the Spirit of God, members that are on fire for God. I think it was old Vans Habner that said many years ago, he said, you know, having the church full of members is like having the wood box full of sticks. It's a handy place to store them, but it doesn't do any good till they catch fire. A lot of truth in that. Listen, without the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we are nothing more than a glorified social club. That's all we are. Because Christ said, without me, you can't do anything. Without the Spirit of God motivating us and using us and empowering us, we're absolutely helpless. So if we want to have a church on fire, we've got to be seething saints. We've got to be on fire, red hot ourselves. Now, if you know anything about fire, you know that a fire needs two things. Basically, it needs fuel and it needs fresh air. If you don't have any fuel, it's not going to keep burning. And for the church, that fuel is right here. This blessed old book I hold in my hand, the Word of God, that's our fuel. That's where we get our energy. That's where we get our nourishment. That's where we get our strength. And we're never going to become the kind of people that we ought to be by simply being entertained by just, you know, getting up and having a little sermonette of some kind that doesn't deal with any kind of issues whatsoever, if we don't feed on the Word of God, we'll never be seething saints. Secondly, it takes fresh air. And let me tell you, the vital breath, the vital breath of the church is prayer. It's impossible for us to be what we ought to be without prayer. There are no substitutes for it. Nothing else can suffice. And so if we're going to be restored to that spiritual passion, then there's no shortcuts. We have to feed on a regular diet of God's Word, and we have to pray constantly. I I remember back whenever I was a boy going to the grade school, York School. And, uh, and of course, that's where I met Bev and uh, fell in love with her. Uh, well, not really, but I swear I met her and was attracted to her. And, you know, since she hated me, and she did, she couldn't stand me. But she had good reason for that. But I'll never forget, and I'll guarantee you, Bev and Shirley both will remember the clinker pile. The old custodian there by the name of Mr. Falk, who was a custodian there years and years, and he would clean out the old furnace downstairs, and outside, just outside the chute, there was a big old clinker pile. That was the leftovers. 
Let me tell you, over the years, I've seen churches that were red hot on fire. I could stand here and name them. God blessed and God used them mightily, and I've seen the flames start to flicker. And I've seen the all of a sudden the membership would begin to drop. And the next thing you know, the next thing you know, the doors were closed and the church had gone out of business. Let me tell you, that can happen to any church. If the fire goes out, it's just a matter of time until the church is dead and gone. There's three things. Now, there's a lot of things mentioned here, but there are three things mentioned in this chapter that relates to what we're talking about. If we're going to be seething saints, the number one issue we've got to deal with is the matter of pride. Look in verse number 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. You see, our biggest problem is failing to see our problem. And that's generally caused by pride. And there will never be any revival fires until we, what? Until we humble ourselves and pray as God told Solomon to do. We don't want to admit we've got a problem. There's some of you that come in every week and you plop down. Tim gets up here and says, let's all shake hands. You you know, you just sit there with a frown on your face and you're not going to move around. Uh, And I look out there and I see my wife and it hurts every step she takes and she gets up and she walks around out there and shaking hands. And some of you are strong and healthy and young and and you, you won't move an inch to go greet somebody. And then you sit here during invitation time acting like everything is all right. There's no problem in your life. Now, some of you here no doubt that it's been years and some of you have never, ever, one time, ever personally led anybody to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we give the invitation and you like act like everything's all right with me. There's nothing I need to make right with God. There's some of you who come to church and you act as pious as the Pope and then you go home and you're mean as a rattlesnake. And then you hear at church during the invitation, you act like, well, there's nothing wrong with me. You know what the problem is? The problem is pride. You're all messed up and you don't want to admit you're messed up. The fire's gone out and you want to pretend like everything's all right and it's not. The truth be known, there are people sitting here that for whatever reason, whether it's jealousy, whether it's bitterness, whether whatever it is, there is aught between you and somebody else. You just don't like that person. And in your mind, you think you're better than they are. And yet, because of your pride, you don't want to deal with that issue. Secondly, look at verse number 9. There's the matter of hypocrisy. He says, let love be without dissimulation. That word dissimulation, of course, means pretense or hypocrisy. Pretending is everything is all right doesn't make it right. 
You can whitewash a fence, but it doesn't add any strength to it. You can paint the pump, but it doesn't produce any water. And religion does not result in righteousness, and even being sincere will not keep you safe. And yet a lot of people go through their life just pretending that everything's all right between them and God. I mean, after all, they attend every Sunday morning, they're there and they give the 10% and they sing along with the congregation of what could be wrong. Well, about 40, 11 different things. Be a lot of stuff wrong. And pretending doesn't solve the problem. Whenever I think about, you know, the fire going out, and by the way, that's exactly what happened over in the book of Revelation chapter 3 in the church of Sardis there. In fact, the number had been reduced down, or the number of faithful members, and he told them and warned them, you better strengthen that which remains. There's just a handful left. You better strengthen that which remains. Why? Because they're going under. And the reason is perfectly pictured in the next letter there to the church of the Laodiceans where he says to them, he says, because you're not hot and you're not cold but you're lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. That's just a polite way of saying you make me sick to my stomach and you make me puke. That's what God's saying there. Imagine that. What's the problem? The problem is, he said, because you're lukewarm. He said, you'd be better off if you were entirely cold. You see, when a person really gets cold, they begin to recognize their need. It's when they're lukewarm that they don't recognize the condition they're in, and so they just go on pretending You want to be a seething saint, then you've got to quit pretending and get honest and step on your pride and deal with those issues in your life. Now, notice verse 11. There's one other thing that he mentions here that's important. He says, notice, not slothful. You know, whenever it gets right down to the root of most of our failures, most of the time, they're caused not because we lack opportunity, they're caused not because we, uh, that we don't have the ability. They're caused simply because of laziness on our part. We just don't want to expend the energy to do the thing that is necessary. And consequently, things never get any better than what they, than what they are. Let me challenge you to do something this morning. We're going to have an invitation here in just a little while. And I hope you'll examine your heart. I hope you'll think about those areas of your life that need, need to be dealt with. And if you become cold and indifferent, you don't read your Bible like you used to. You don't pray like you ought to. You don't witness to anybody. You've never led anybody to Christ. And you need to get those things right with the Lord this morning. Or if you're here and you're not saved this morning... I would pray that before you leave this building, you'd come to know Christ as your Savior. But I'm talking about now something long-term that I want you to do. And that is every day of, of the week for a month. It doesn't take very long to read through this chapter. Just a few minutes. 
I want to challenge you to read through this chapter every single day for a month. And I can almost guarantee you, if you're sincere about it, something will begin to happen in your life. And that fire that is flickering and almost gone out, all of a sudden, it'll be renewed. And all of a sudden, your spiritual passion will be restored. Maybe it's down to just a burning ember right now. Let me tell you, with the fuel of God's Word and the breath of the Holy Spirit, that ember can become a raging fire. And what happens then? Well, like that song says, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. You know what happens then? You see, you can't have a church revival if you don't have personal revivals. And all of a sudden, just one by one by one, one over here, and there'll be one over here, and one back there, and another one over here, one back there, another one over here, and just one by one, week after week, all of a sudden, we're going to realize, wow, things are catching fire around here. And finally, at long last, whenever things like it ought to be, you're going to, you're going to start thinking, well, I'm the odd man out now. I no longer can congratulate myself for being a, an average Christian because all of a sudden the church is on fire and you're not. Well, you stop and think how serious that is whenever the Lord said to the, to the church, because you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. And, and to think about the Lord saying to us as a church, and over and over again in those seven letters, he basically said this, you either get things right or I'm, I'm leaving. I'm taking my witness, taking my candlestick, I'm walking out. Let me tell you, whenever the Lord leaves, I can get up here and I can preach the same sermons every week. The choir can sing the same songs. We can clap our hands and pat our foot and shout the rafters down and just get all emotional about it but still be as dead as a hammer spiritually because if the Lord's not here there's nothing here worthwhile he's the one that makes the difference so how is it with you this morning can you really say, indeed, I, you know, I, I've, I've, I've not allowed the fire to go out in my life. I'm just as excited about serving God as I've ever been before. You know, that might not be anything you ought to commend yourself for. If you've never really truly been where you ought to be, you can't backslide until you've gone forward, you see. But if you're not where you need to be this morning, would you deal with that? Stop worrying about what I ought to do or what your wife or your husband ought to do. Start thinking about what you need to do to get things right with God today. Let's all stand together. Father, how we thank you for the example of the early church, how we thank you, Heavenly Father, for the counsel from your word, how we thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we know that as weak as we are, we would just let these problems pile up mountain high week after week after week, 
And we'd never be any different. We'd never be any better. We'd never make any changes. Well, we'd be perfectly satisfied with things just like they are. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit puts His finger on our heart and finds a tender place and begins to deal with us and make us uncomfortable, even miserable. And all of a sudden, we begin to realize that the fire has died out. And now where serving you ought to be a great delight, now it's just a drudgery. We've lost our joy. We've lost the excitement. Lord, I pray this morning that, that you'll restore that, that you'll change lives. I pray you'll just squash our pride here today. We might not worry a second about what somebody else is going to think, but that we'd get on our face before you and pour out our heart in prayer to where when we leave here, we know that we've made things right. For we beg it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. While we stand and as we sing this morning, if God's speaking to your heart, would you come?